0: terminate because I'm coming Who is it?
1: good morning and welcome to episode 388 of effectively wild the daily podcast from baseball prospectus presented by the baseball reference play index my name is Ben Lindbergh my Podcast pal is Sam Miller, and today we move uh, one team closer to the end of our journey from the bottom to the top of the Pocota projected standings with a preview of the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Later in the show, Nick Wheatley Schaller will talk to Matt Gelb, who covers the Phillies for the Philly Inquirer. But right now we are about to talk to Bill Bayer, the founder of the Phillies blog Crash Burnelli the author of the book 100 Things That Phillies Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, a writer for Roto World and Hardball Talk, and also a contributor to the Baseball Prospectus Annual. Hey, uh, Bill, what are, what are some of the things that a Phillies fan should do before he or she dies?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. And the first thing that a Phillies fan should do is not be a fan of the Phillies because it's horribly depressing right now. <laughs> Well, at least the last couple of years. It was good for a few years there. I, I'm not going to act like that didn't happen, but
1: it's a little tough. Well, you uh, in late January, you made a fairly strong statement. Uh, you came out on your blog, and you said that the Phillies have had a relatively good offseason. Yes. Uh, do, you, do you stand by this controversial statement, and if so, why?
2: Well, I kind of hedged my bet there, put in the word relatively in there. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
2: I, I mean, you know, if you go to the casino and, you know, you're up with the big wigs, you know, throwing around hundred dollar bills on the on the big tables. And then if you win at nickel slot, you're not really having a good night. But relatively, in your own means, uh, that's a good night for you if you win a couple of spins there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the Phillies have done. Uh, they didn't make any big mistakes. They didn't get locked down in a, a you know, a four or five year deal for a pitcher. Uh, they didn't have to give up, give up their first round pick, which, thanks to their their finish last year, is relatively high. Uh, and just really, they didn't uh, make any any bad personnel decisions the way they did last offseason with Michael Young and Delman Young. Uh, they even got Yuniesky Betancourt, but thankfully uh, cut bait on him. But they just have avoided mistakes. So,, uh, so
3: that just so that I'm clear, their their successful offseason is largely uh, being uh, unable to do much uh, or you know willing to not do much. Um, they did sign AJ Burnett. You can disagree with the premise of this here if you want, but i'm gonna I'm gonna assume the premise for a minute. Can you fill in the end of the sentence? The A.J. Burnett signing is the first unambiguously good move that Ruben Amaro has made since blank.
2: Hmm, that's an that's a interesting question. Uh, give me like a minute to think about that. <laughs> Man, it, to be honest, I was actually uh, one of the few who, who liked the Polanco signing. Uh, you know, obviously it wasn't Adrian Beltre who was available at the time, but uh, there was also Sean Figgins. Uh, But I would say the Polanco signing was, you know, uh, break even, and it didn't really hurt them. Whereas you look at a lot of the bigger moves that uh, that uh, Ruben Amaro has made, the Hunter pench trade, the Roy Oswalt trade, uh, some of them have been actively harmful. So I would say like a net even uh, deal like that is among the better ones.
1: So a relatively good offseason uh, because of the absence of making mistakes and the, that. the good moves are the break-even ones, is yep. what you're telling us. Uh, were you in the, the Philly should-be-sellers camp last season? And if so, uh, have you changed your mind at all about whether they should be making runs for it right now?
2: Uh, yeah, they should have been sellers. They should have been... Well, I think they were shopping Cliff Lee a little bit, but obviously they didn't want to move him unless they got like a, a an irrefutable offer. Uh, but yeah, they should still be sellers, and the eye is obviously still on you know 2016 when maybe J.P. Crawford will be ready, Michael Franca will have established himself, Dominic Brown has blossomed into a perennial All Star, you know, uh, pipe dreams basically, but. <laughs> But yeah, if you can sell Bond, if you can get Jimmy Rollins to waive his no trade clause, if you can find a, a good fit for Cliff Lee, those are all things that Phillies should be at the very least doing their due diligence on, I would say.
1: Does the, the Burnett signing, in your mind, make it more or less likely that, that they will be sellers come the deadline? Because you can... Look at, at him as a great candidate to be traded to a contender at midseason, but you could also wonder whether he'll bring the team kind of close enough to the the kind of contending region where you could see maybe Amaro just holding on to everyone again.
2: Uh, I would say it actually makes them less likely to be sellers just because of the, the player option that's on the, the end of the contract there. And a lot of the teams normally would trade for a guy of his caliber, even with a, an option on the back. But he was almost about to retire, so teams don't know what his future is going to be like. If he's going to have the motivation to play, and if they're going to if they're going to pay extra uh, to have that, you know, on the end there, it might be a deterrent. And the Phillies might want that themselves, which would also make him less likely to be shopped.
1: And what did you make of the, the Dominic Brown rumors this winter? How did how did that fit in with the selling versus not selling?
2: It was kind of shocking. I mean, you look at the way they have handled him throughout the years. At first, he was uh, an untouchable prospect. He wouldn't go in the Roy Halladay trade. They wouldn't trade him for Cliff Lee. Uh, and then he got injured, and he, his performance fell. And they didn't know what to make of him. And they brought him along really slowly, wouldn't let him establish himself. Uh, for an everyday job, and then the one year he does, he has, he breaks out as an all-star caliber season. Uh, they want to they want to sell him when he's ostensibly the only established piece of the future. It, it didn't really make too much sense, especially when you consider how young he is, how cost controlled he will be in the upcoming five years. Uh, so just to hear about that was was really shocking, and I really don't think they would have gotten a, a good enough haul for him. Uh, that they think they would have, uh, just because trade. Unless you're, you know, getting lucky with Doug Fister the way the uh, the Nationals did, it, it just doesn't happen these days.
3: So um, we think of the Phillies as a as a huge market team. They had the second highest payroll in baseball in 2012. They'll be, um, you know, it looks like probably fourth or fifth or so this year. Even though they're not very good, they're going to be pushing probably 170 or or so. Um, but, you know, it wasn't that long ago that they were a team that was sort of uh, closer to the middle, like 10th, 12th around that area before they won their World Series. And, um, you know, teams, uh, you know, teams do sort of fluctuate a bit. Um, and, you know, we've seen like, for instance, the Mariners went from a team that was at the top near the top to being much lower. And we've seen the Twins do that. Um I know the Phillies are a bigger market than either of those, but do you have a sense of like kind of first off what their payroll should be, what the fundamentals of their TV contract and their their attendance and and all that suggest they should be, and are they prone to losing a lot of revenue if they go through a few years of losing? Is is this a situation where um, they could be in a in a very fallow period if they lose two or three years? Will attendance drop? Uh, do they have any sort of uh, vulnerability to those market forces
2: well the first thing uh, to include in any analysis of all that is the the TV deal that they struck with uh, with Comcast recently and that sets it doesn't start right now it starts after uh, 2015 I believe but that sets them up very well into the future and they'll be able to withstand any small fluctuation in, in revenue if attendance drops if they have a couple of bad years because they were perennially selling out in the in the glory years through uh, I believe 2010 they had a sellout streak and it ended in early uh, 2011 if my memory serves me correctly and it's continued to drop and it probably will continue to drop uh, but their payroll is commensurate with the media market you, you know it's a four sport town uh, you know Philadelphia loves their sports. Uh, I don't know the specific number off the top of my head, but I believe they're at least in the top ten, maybe, maybe top five. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but in terms of media market, uh, they should be among the the biggest spending teams in baseball. And if they were a little bit more successful, I don't think you'd hear so much hand wringing about their payroll. If they were, you know, an 81, 85 win team, rather than you know 75, maybe high 70s. Uh, So I I think it's fine. It's just that they've kind of spent their money uh, illogically in the past, and that kind of hurts them right now.
3: So uh, Ryan Howard was the kind of defining star of their successful years, not necessarily their best player, but their most famous player. And now he's sort of the defining contract in the state that they're in right now. And um, we've sort of seen a lot of players whose contracts make them, uh, you know, a real burden for their teams. And sometimes you look at them and they just seem sad as the years go on. Like there's just something kind of sad and depressing about, you know, them being booed or, uh, you know, obviously knowing what their role is in the team and, and all that. And I mean, you, you see it with, you saw it with Barry Zito a bit, you saw it with Vernon Wells a bit. It's a humbling thing. Okay. So with Howard, is it sad to watch? I mean, does, do you get the sense that this is a, there's like a sort of a, um, like a, like everybody's kind of averting their eyes when he, he walks in? Or is he still immensely popular, uh, upbeat, not really, um, you know, kind of abashed to be out
2: there? Yeah, Ryan Howard is still one of the most popular athletes in Philadelphia, bar none. I think if you ask, uh, if you were to poll like 100 random people in Philly. Uh, what they think Ryan Howard could do if he has a, a fully healthy year, and a lot of them will say he can still hit 30 home runs, hit 100 RBIs. I know we're not a uh, home run and RBI guys here. I guess to put that in a, in a nerd term, maybe like a 360 weighted on base average, you know. Uh, but if
3: yeah, the real nerd move would be to pronounce it WOBA.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah WOBA. But yeah, he's still really popular, and yeah, it's it's a little bit sad to watch. Uh, as a fan uh, to see the injuries that have happened. Not only did he tear his Achilles at the end of the 2011 uh, NLDS, but he also tore his meniscus in, in uh, or, yeah, that was last year. My memory is so bad. But, and his ability and, to not hit left-handers, and it's yeah. been a real drag.
3: And and uh, you suggest that, um, that uh, in, in your comments, you suggest that that maybe there are other players on the team who should be in maybe platoon roles with him or taking some of his playing time. Does his popularity um, make that less likely, or does simply the fact that the Phillies over overvalue what he brings make that less likely? Or is it likely? Is it conceivable that he will be playing less than full-time by the end of this year or next?
2: Uh, I don't think it's likely. I think it's possible. And I do think it's uh, his popularity makes it difficult, and also his salary makes it difficult. Uh, a, lo- a lot of us are, are fans of the term sunk cost, but I'm not sure the Phillies actually know. Well, I'm sure they do. That's a little glib <laughs> of me to say. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, once you pay the guy the money, it, that's it. It's out the window. You, you just got to get the best value out of that that you can. If that means platooning the guy, then, then you should. Darren Ruff seems tailor made for the role, in my opinion. Uh, He didn't have the greatest numbers against lefties, and he actually hit right-handers really well last year, but I think that was a bit of a fluke. And he's historically crushed lefties, and that would just be a a very productive partnership at first base, I think. But I just don't think the Phillies are are in the mood to do that right now.
1: Is there one member of the the Phillies' sort of 35-year-old-ish infield core that you are most optimistic about having? Something resembling one of their prime seasons in 2014.
2: I think it'd have to be Chase Utley. Uh, mm-hmm. He came back from his his uh, knee injuries with relative ease. Obviously, it was difficult to to put the work in, but he's not quite the defender he used to be. He's still above average. He's still above average offensively. He's you know in his prime he was maybe a five to seven uh, wins above replacement kind of player. Maybe now he's two and a half to four in that range. But that's still really good, and that's in the top 10 for, for second baseman. So if you had to give me anybody from that 35-plus group, I'd, I'd have to say Chase Utley.
1: And you wrote in your comments that, uh, that Jonathan Papelbon's 2013 felt much worse than his ERA. Uh, is he someone that you would expect to, to rebound and sort of have a, a kind of graceful Rivera-like decline, or are you expecting much worse things ahead in the near future?
2: It really depends on his fastball velocity because he lost a lot of it. I believe in 2011 it was it's still average 95, but last year it was down to 92. That's a big key for Papi Bond because he's basically just a fastball kind of pitcher. He lives very high in the strike zone, and when he loses 3 3 miles an hour on his fastball, then he's really easy to square up. So if he doesn't get that back, then I think it's uh, it's just more the end for him. But it, you never know he's he's more optimistic coming into spring training maybe he'll, he'll change something to get that back but it, it's not very common for guys in their their mid-30s to get velocity back
1: do you think it's uh possible that that we make too much of the Phillies ignorance or supposed ignorance of sabermetric principles is it I, I always wonder because you know we Everyone made jokes this winter about the the analytics extern, uh, who is now a full time employee, Scott Friedman, and how the Phillies seem to be behind other teams in that department. Um, but if you look at the the big mistakes that Amaro has made, they are maybe mistakes that could have been avoided with a greater familiarity with with sabermetric principles. But they're not necessarily mistakes that. Uh, that anyone who doesn't know about stats would make you could you could argue that you know an old-fashioned baseball man who doesn't know about war would not have signed Ryan Howard to that contract for for reasons that a a, a traditional baseball person would know about so do we do we spin it too much as a, a sabermetric versus non-sabermetric thing whereas where, where it could be just sort of a, a good decision making versus bad decision making
2: yeah i think that's actually fair to say we probably do make a little bit too much of it uh myself probably very much included in that uh but they are one of the only teams left in baseball that hasn't adopted at least some part uh of an analytics uh i guess avenue into their decision making processes Mm -hmm. and the thing that really turned me off uh it's their uh, outright dismissal of, of statistics. It was when Amaro signed Delman Young last year that he said I don't care about walks, I care about production. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's that's a thing that, that could be very easily stopped if you had a, a greater appreciation for, for analytics. And it's not even like you have to be, you know, Russell Carlton or, or Matt Swartz, you know, that kind of number savvy. It's just uh, knowing a little bit about how to use numbers, what conclu- conclusions to draw. And even Michael Young who uh, I mentioned earlier would be another example of that. But yeah, uh, generally speaking, we probably probably do overestimate how uh, ignorant they may be about about sabermetrics.
1: So, uh, Pacoda projects the Phillies to win 76 games. Most of the the stat-based projections for them are somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, recently, as you wrote on your site, uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today wrote an article about the Phillies with some comments from Amaro, where he was optimistic about the team and talked about how it can make a run at the division and all of that thing, all of that. And, and obviously, GMs have some obligation to make positive statements about their team. Uh, but as someone who follows Amaro's comments very closely, when he has differed from sort of the the internet expectation for the Phillies or for players, uh, has he proved us wrong at any point? Has there have there been statements that we mocked at the time that that turned out to look smart in retrospect?
2: I'm actually not sure about comments he's made about you know looking forward for the team, but I know in the past uh, Jimmy Rollins has has made comments about how the team will do. There's weren't recent, of course, those were back in 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. And the more they opened their mouths, eventually the team got got worse and they learned to keep their mouths so, shut. So mostly lately there there hasn't been you know this bravado that they used to have. So it was kind of surprising to see Amara come out and, and say that he thinks the, the Phillies can make a run at the NL East. And even Jonathan Papelbon said uh, something similar earlier today. Uh, so... I, I think it's, like you said, they have some obligation to do it. Obviously, you don't want fans to lose interest and not buy tickets because they think the team's going to be awful or or people not to buy season tickets or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't really recall Mara jumping out of, out of the gun like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, well, give us the, the Bill Bear prediction then. Where do you expect that they will finish? How many wins do you project
2: uh, let's see, I'll put them right at 78. Mm-hmm. Uh, li- a little bit better uh, than uh, perhaps some people might say they were kind of bad by their Pythagorean uh, win loss record last year. Uh, but that's, that seems to be a commensurate with what their talent level is, especially if Cole Hamels has to has miss more than, you know, just one or two starts.
3: So can I? I just want to get a sub prediction. Seventy-eight is right on that cusp. So do you think that they will be? Uh, well, I guess how many how many players will be traded in July? Hmm,
2: that's a really good question, actually. It, you could see Papabon move. It depends if he has a, a bounce back, uh, get some of that velocity back, and the Phillies you know, find a, a home for him. They I think they were trying to trade him during the off season, but but that was short lived. I would say they might trade maybe like two or three guys, uh, none of them stars. And if they do trade a star like Papabon, like a like a prime player, it, it would have to be him. I don't think they'll trade like Cliff Lee or anything.
1: All right. Uh, well, thank you for sharing, Bill.
2: Well, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure.
1: It was a pleasure for us as well. Uh, so coming up next, Nick will talk to Matt Gelb from the Philly Inquirer. Uh, Again, we encourage you to go to Baseball Reference, support our sponsor by subscribing to the Play Index, use the coupon code BP for a $6 discount, uh, and now Nick takes over.
0: Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Matt Gelb of the Philadelphia
4: Inquirer. How's Florida, Matt? Ah, it's sunny and warm finally. It's nice to be out of the snow.
0: That must be great. So the Phillies recently signed A.J. Burnett to a one-year, $16 million deal. They poached him from Pittsburgh. Earlier today, I saw that he was throwing his first bullpen session in Florida. How much attention were the Phillies paying to Burnett this offseason?
4: You know, they liked him from the very start. They just weren't sure whether he was going to pitch for Pittsburgh or retire, and I think really all of baseball was unsure of that, and Burnett Claimed he was unsure of that really until the last week or so. And, and they kept close tabs on him because Scott Profrox, who's one of the Phillies' assistant GMs, he's really Ruben Omar Jr.'s number two guy, is actually neighbors with Burnett, and their kids are friends, and they're on the same basketball team this winter, a team that Burnett was actually coaching uh, until he signed <laughs> with the Phillies. So, uh, you know, they, they were kind of probing him. They were they were keeping in touch, and, and, and he was atop their board. They liked him because they knew they could get him probably on a one year deal, uh, you know, with. with uh, a guy who fits really kind of what they're looking for. They need a right-hand pitcher. They wanted someone for the middle of the rotation until, until he signed Kyle Kendrick was going to be their third starter, and they wanted a little more depth there. And, uh, you know, they might have overpaid for him. Uh, $16 million is a lot, and he's guaranteed about $23.5 million if he wants to pitch for the second year of the deal. Uh, but, you know, they're they're committed to this core. I mean, they, they have an older team, and they've spent a lot of money on it. And, and the way they viewed it, you know, $16 million was another – uh, investment to 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 fix the pitching staff and give them some depth, and and they think they can compete yeah
0: well, sixteen million dollars on a short term deal is really not a big deal for a team like the Phillies, especially since uh Burnett didn't come with a draft pick attached,
4: yeah, I mean I think that's the way they looked at it and they were already at about a hundred and seventy or so million you know if you look at it for luxury tax and and they were still under the threshold and they don't want to pay luxury tax, but they can do this deal and probably still be below that 189 number, and mm-hmm. and, and when you're already up in, in, those, in at those heights, I mean, you might as well go for it, and, and I think that's the way they viewed it. They, they weren't going to spend uh, big money on, on a guy like Irvin Santana or Matt Garza or Val Jimenez because they thought those guys were going to want at least three years and probably more, so they went with the short-term commitment, and that was kind of their philosophy all winter, I think.
0: Last week, the news came out that Cole Hamels will not be ready for opening day due to pain in his left shoulder. He stated that he'll be throwing off a mound within the next week or so, but he's obviously going to be pretty far behind schedule. How big of a surprise was this for the
4: press and for Phillies fans? You know, I mean, they, they did a good job of keeping under wraps, I and mean, it's yeah. funny because every time we would ask Amaro in the wintertime, you know, <laughs> are there any health concerns or any problems, and and he would, he would really, the only guy that they would list off would be Mike Adams, who is coming off of shoulder surgery and is probably going to start the year on the DL, but... You know, says they weren't trying to hide anything, and maybe they weren't, but they weren't also being totally upfront, truthful, which is the team's right to do that. And, and uh, it was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, Hamill is really the model of consistency. That you know, you look at the innings he's logged in the last you know six, seven years, and, and you would think that uh, you know he he could be set up for some kind of injury. And and the Phillies believe it's minor. Hamill says he's not in pain right now. It's just that he took a month off from his off season program, and he's really dedicated to that program. Uh, it's something that's really set him up since the, since the 2008 World Series that he, he believes in this program and, and, and he doesn't want to deviate from it so they're not going to rush him
2: uh, you know I think
4: an, optimi- an optimistic projection is that he pitches sometime in April sometime maybe in that third or fourth week of April so they don't think he's going to miss too much but the way they see it they just don't want to push him right now
0: how will his injury affect Jonathan Pettibone who ha- also had some shoulder issues but is trying to fight
4: for a spot in the rotation now Yeah, that's an interesting story here in camp so far. They actually uh, said that he's going to miss at least the next five days. They're going to shut him down. They injected him with cortisone in the shoulder, and it's a concerning injury, I think, because this is something that he had a problem with last year. He missed the last two months of his rookie season. and, And again, Pettibone wasn't totally overwhelming. I mean, he was fine. He was, he, he was decent, and, and, and really he projects to be like a fifth starter in, in a major league rotation, and, and for the Phillies, I mean, that's the kind of guy they need. They know that they're they're going to use more than five starters this season, and Pettibone is someone who could slide in. He could be that sixth or seventh guy, maybe go to AAA to start the season, or, or even make the team, but they they have to be concerned about him right now, because the shoulder thing doesn't seem to be going away.
0: At the top of their rotation, Cliff Lee had a pretty amazing end to 2013. He had 54 strikeouts in just one walk in September. His contract runs through 2015 with an option the next year, and he's indicated that he might retire after 2015 when his contract expires. Uh, Can the Phillies do anything to convince him otherwise?
4: Yeah, I think it will. They'll get when they get there. They'll see. I mean, it, it is amazing how this guy is aged. I mean, if you, it, and it's almost to me overlooked. I mean, this, this guy is just unbelievable. I mean, when you look at his numbers, and I know, you know, some traditional fans, you know, beyond the baseball prospectus realm, would look at his one win-loss record, you know, from from two years ago and be like, well, he didn't do much. So, I mean, this guy, you know, just look at all of his numbers, I and mean, it's just it's incredible. And really, most well, incredible part is that. He's never really had an arm injury or shoulder injury in his career. I mean, his, the biggest thing that's, that's sidelined him in, in some years has been an, an oblique problem that, that he's dealt with a few times. But and this guy is just, you know, he doesn't, doesn't watch a lot of video. He doesn't watch video at all, really. I mean, he wow. keeps very minimal scouting reports on the opposition. I mean, he just knows what his strengths are. Uh, and that's how he attacks hitters. And the guy doesn't do anything with remarkable flair, really. I mean, he he is, he is pretty remarkable. And, and that, 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 I think is what makes him special. And it also could make him, uh, you know, the most attractive piece of the trade deadline. You know, if the Phillies are, 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 scuffling or, or out of contention by July, it's a guy who has a year and a half on his deal. It is a lot of money, but for a contending team, you know, the chance to pick up a guy like Cliff Lee at the deadline, I mean, that, that could, that could be something special.
0: Lee is just such an interesting pitcher. Doug Thorborn, who uh, is Baseball Prospectus' pitching mechanics expert, he likes to talk about how Lee's control is just so impeccable compared to the fact that his mechanics are kind of iffy sometimes. He's got that big lean back, but he's just so unbelievably reliable throwing strikes.
4: Yeah, and, and like you said, the strikeout to walk ratio is just is, is stunning. I mean, and, and really, the Phillies like tearing up younger pitchers with him here early in spring training because they had an organizational problem as a whole last year of throwing strikes, and it's something they're mm-hmm. stressing. And really, you know, if if you want to learn from the best, I mean, I think Cliff Lee is, is probably one of those guys.
0: Yeah, the past couple of decades, I can't think of anyone else. Uh, over on the position player side, um, An interesting signing this year was the Phillies signing Bobby Abreu. They signed him to a minor league deal in January following his performance in the Venezuelan Winter League. What's a realistic role for Abreu if he does make the team? Would they play him in the field, or would he be mostly a pinch hitter? He had about 50 games in uh, his last season, 2012, when he was uh, more of a pinch hitter for the Dodgers.
4: Yeah, I mean, I would envision him mostly as a pinch hitter. They don't really have a left-handed bat off the bench right now, and that's why they went after Abreu, and really... I mean, it's in the tryout. That's all it is. They don't have to pay the guy. All Actually, all they're paying really is about $290 a week of meal money in spring training. I mean, they, that's that is basically what they owe him. And if he bombs, then, then they'll cut him. And I think, you know, they're hoping that he can beat some because they really need a lefty bat off the bench. They don't have it. Uh, and, you know, we'll see. I mean, he's going to play the field in spring training. He'll play a little right field. Uh, he played a lot of right field in the Venezuelan League, and Scout said he was... You know, shaky, but but he was out there. He was capable, and and he looks to be in pretty decent shape. So, and he's a pretty motivated guy. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he tried to get a job in baseball last year, and and with his track record, and and he had no offers, and, and he walked away from the game. And, and he spoke the other day about his passion for the game, and and really, it's a guy who has nothing to lose, and the Phillies will see if he's got anything left.
0: Third baseman Cody Ash appears to have played his way into his starting role, at least at the beginning of the year. Do the Phillies plan on giving him a full season this year, or will he have to prove himself? He only got 179 plate appearances in the majors last year after his, his first time at AAA earlier in the year.
4: Yeah, they really like Ashy, and I think they're going to give him the job and probably going to try to ride him for the whole season, uh, You know, unless Michael Franco pushes things uh, in the minors, he's their best mm-hmm. position player prospect. but. They like Ashy, and I know a lot of people have compared him to to Chase Dutley, but, you know, Dutley is a special talent. I think I would compare Ashy to Dutley in terms of demeanor and work Mm -hmm. ethic. I mean, there are a lot of similarities there, and he is liked by his teammates. I think his teammates see a guy who who can improve, and and the Phillies have questions really about is that how it might hold up in the majors. Uh, He's a guy who's going to work at it. I think the last two months of last year kind of taught him uh, what it's going to take at the end of his season was pretty miserable. I mean, he was on like a 2-for-30 slump to end the year, so that kind of pushed his numbers down. But but I think they have a guy who could be a Major League regular. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if he will ever be an all-star player, but I think they have a solid player over there at third base, and he's actually going to be their first homegrown third baseman on opening day After Scott Rowland. So it's, wow. it's been a while.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Franco, you mentioned, is an exciting prospect with some good power. He's sort of a third baseman slash first baseman at this point
4: do they have are they leaning either way with him yeah I'm not sure and I think a lot of it is going to depend on Ryan Howard and that, that yeah. is the big question they don't, they don't want to to make Franco first baseman yet because they have Howard locked up there and obviously they hope that Howard you know is their cleanup hitter with 30 35 home runs this season mm-hmm. but Scouts are kind of divided on Franco in terms of where he could play there I talked to a lot of them who, who really like him at third base he's mm-hmm. He's probably a 20-runner. I mean, he's got terrible foot speed, but he has good hands. He has a good arm. Uh, he'll, he'll make the plays and the balls he can get to, and, and his range will be a little limited over there. But I'm curious to see him. I have only seen him a little bit. I want to see him play some great league games. Uh, I don't think he's going to get a lot of action. I know the Phillies have kept, kind of kept an open thing. They haven't given the job to Ashy yet. They said Franco you know, could come in here, but it would take, I think, a miracle for Franco to make the team out of camp. He's the youngest guy in their camp. Uh, I, I want to see him. I want to see him play, though. I, I think it'll be interesting to see him. You know, maybe go up against some some major league pitchers here in Grapefruit League play.
0: Yeah, he played sixty nine games at Double A last year, so it would be a bit of a jump for him to go to the majors this year. Although maybe he can get in later in the year.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go back to Double A to start the year either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a definite possibility.
0: You mentioned you mentioned Howard. Um, obviously, that contract is really weighing on the Phillies. Ruben Amaro keeps making these positive comments about Howard. Howard seems to be excited to be um, have a chance to play a full year this year. Um, are they really hoping that him just being healthy is going to make the difference?
4: Yeah, they are. They are. And 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 the questions and concerns really go back to before he was hurt and, and his inability to hit left-handed pitching. And that that is something that. Howard has not done consistently over his career. And I'm not so sure it comes down to health and whether he can have better pitch recognition. You know, pitchers started pitching Howard differently after those first few years and the MVP year and the rookie of the year. And, you know, they pitched him differently, and they know that he can't hit off-speed stuff. And it is it is something that Howard has to make an adjustment to. And, and he has not yet been able to make that adjustment, and you wonder if he will ever be able to make that adjustment. So the platoon is not out of the question. I don't think... It's going to happen right away. It's not going to happen right away. They're going to give him a shot. You know, maybe it's at the All Star break. Maybe it's in June. If he's not hitting lefties, I would expect them to start to start sitting him against left-handed pitchers.
0: That, that's interesting. I, I would be surprised if the Phillies would be ready to pull the trigger so soon on that.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I think they're You know, I'm not saying that Ryan Sandberg has less loyalty to, to Ryan Howard, but oh. but there, I think there is more. There's more. Uh, you know, there's more. Gra- there's more momentum for, for changing, I think. And and, and Sandberg talked about it the other day. He said if I have to make if I have to make a decision that's for the betterment of the team, then I'm going to do that. And again, this isn't gonna happen in April and it's probably not going to happen in May. It might not even happen, you know, before the All Star break. But if he shows an inability to hit left handed pitching, I, I do think that they, they they could make a change there just you know, because they have a guy like Darren Ruff who could be a natural platoon partner there Mm -hmm. uh, at first base. They they have an option there, and I think that's something that they may have to consider eventually.
0: So Ryan Howard is 34. Um, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Carlos Ruiz will all be 35 this year. Marlon Byrd will turn 37 in August. Um, Got a very old roster. What are their plans if they start to see the same type of injuries that the Yankees saw last season with a similarly old roster?
4: Wow, they are crossing their fingers right now. I mean, they yeah. they have better they have better depth than they did last year. And I know that it's kind of silly to talk about depth. I mean, we just you know you don't know some of these guys, but they have a guy like Freddie Galvis who I think could be a major league shortstop, everyday shortstop eventually, mm-hmm. most mostly because of his glove. I mean, he brings unbelievable value defensively. He has improved uh, his hitting, but he he needs to hit for a better average. He needs to get on base more. They have a guy like Darren Ruff who could who could step in at first base. They have a guy like Michael Franco who could come up if they needed him to and play in the infield. Uh, you know, the outfield is where they are staying. Uh, they have to hope that Bird holds up. They have to hope that Ben Revere can give them a little bit of production in center field and, and better defense. And they have to hope that Dominic Brown can stay on the field. I know he had an unbelievable first half last year. In the second half, he missed some time because of the concussion and because of other knee injuries. I and mean, they, need, they need him to be on the field for 130, 140 games and, and uh the outfield is thin. They, they really do not have much depth in the outfield minor leagues or anything really right now.
0: Bird did, uh, Brown did get uh, more playing time than he had ever before. He played 139 games. He slugged 494. Do they see um, room for him to improve, or do they think that sort of 320, 490 uh, kind of position is, is where he will really be best at the plate?
4: I think they see room for improvement. Uh, it, in terms of on base percentage, right. and Brown before last year was a guy, and he still last year worked the count really well. And he he is a guy who can get on base and can draw walks. I think last year he kind of got away from that a little bit. He was a little feel like maybe a little more pressure. He started to clean up of them. I think he felt like he had to be the one who was driving in all the runs for yeah. a little while. Uh, he he's a guy who can improve his his on base skills. I, I do think that. But you know the home runs. I mean that you know they 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 were really thrilled to see what he did last year. And I think it was re- refreshing for Brown. I mean, he's a guy who, who was labeled a top prospect, you know, years ago, suffered a lot of injuries. There's a lot of doubt about him, but he, he had, he had the talent. And I think everyone saw it last year. It's whether he can, can stay on the field and, and, and take advantage of that talent. And he comes in spring this year, relaxed. you know, which could help. Him too. too. He, he's, he has a job and that's the first time that he's ever come to camp with a job. So, I think this this uh, this spring is dedicated, uh, you know, is a time for him to, you know, to just really feel relaxed and, and get to get into a groove and and feel good about things and not have to worry about wanting a job.
0: Considering all the moves they've made this season, not shying away from the short-term deals and the old guys, uh, the P- Phillies appear serious about contending this year. What needs to happen in order for that to actually be a possibility for them to be in contention late in the year?
4: I think they need Ryan Howard to play 140 games. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. And if you look at his numbers from last year, I mean, they're not terrible. They're not Ryan Howard numbers from 2008, but they're, but they're productive. I mean, he was a productive first baseman when he was on the field. His on-base skills could improve. I mean, he, could, he needs to get on base more. So, you know, his power skills were okay. They were suitable. Uh, you know, they had Chase Elliott on the field last year for 500-plus 500, 500 plate appearances for the first time in years, and that was huge for them. Uh, you know they, they need help. They—they they really need help, and, and and it can't be stated enough how much they need help. And uh, they need—they need things to go right. And they—they—they they, they have uh, a lot more ifs than other teams who who think they can contend. And, and they need those ifs to go right. And right now they—they they think they can go right because it's spring, and everyone thinks that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Matt. Um, enjoy the rest of your time in Florida. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. That was Matt Gelb of the Philadelphia Inquirer. You can read Matt at phillynews.com or follow him on Twitter at M-A-G-E-L-B. Tomorrow I'll be discussing the Pirates with Travis Sawchik of the Tribune Review.